0: Welcome to Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. Stories We Don't Tell is a monthly event in Toronto that features candid stories of strength and resilience. I threw out my prayers, they went flying like balloons. The air whipped our hair, we went shooting down the valley. Knuckles gripped upon the handles, shivers rushing down my spine.
1: Oh the year was 1778 and I wish <laughs> I was in Sherbrooke now. <sighs> that song uh, is known by a portion of my friend group uh, and whenever we get drunk we sing it. Uh, which is a lot. <laughs> uh, uh, and I can recount the different times we've done this and the weirder and weirder times. My favorite, actually, uh, was my, my brother uh, and, and a friend Corey uh, went for a long walk on New Year's Day uh, and it was snow-riven through Scarborough when he walked. And as we went, we just shouted this song to the top of our lungs along Kingston Road. Uh, I guess presuming that the snow-covered hills, or hills by, I mean, suburbs, um, would would sort of soak in our voices, or also we're just annoying fucking teenagers. Uh, but the song still brings me a bunch of joy, and if, and if what's funny about it is, uh, whenever it's sung, uh, it's, it just brings you in, in a way. Uh, and Corey Thomas David is a soldier, an actual one only for a brief second, uh, as he didn't appreciate the, mil- the Canadian military's dogmatic expectations or violent rhetoric, uh, which you would presume he would have figured out before he joined. But what can you do? Um, and one week ago, uh, he slept uh, on this couch. Uh, and I hope you'll indulge me. I'm going to tell the story backwards. Because six years ago, uh, I slept on his. I'm leaving work, uh, and my mind hasn't really been into it all day. Uh, Last night, uh, my first serious relationship ended. Uh, My girlfriend of two and a half years broke up with me. uh, And today, I've spent the entire time dealing with these uh, ragtag group of eight to 12-year-olds just storming around Palladium, uh, which while a welcome distraction is still pretty exhausting uh, and so my walk from work uh, to the side entrance of Young Street Station uh, goes by with a blur and Corey's now actually moved out of Scarborough he's living in Little Italy uh, and so my train ride west is pretty short I hop out and I walk down the, the short way as the sun sort of sets and the door The big wooden door in his house sort of thuds behind me as I enter and I sort of hobble down his circular steps into his basement. He looks up, chucks a Snickers in my direction, hits me in the chest, uh, and I hop the back of his couch and we sit down beside him. And we don't really talk about what's going on, uh, how I'm feeling, because we don't have to because there are aliens or bad guys to fight, Earth to defend, you know, important stuff. So he hands me controller and we move on. And I'll live there more than my own place for the next few months. And this was a tradition we accidentally started the year earlier. Uh, still, in the middle of summer, I'm living with my dad in Scarborough, commuting the hour home after another 13-hour day. And the bus squeals to a stop, and I hop out. It's a short walk home, but I'm not staying there long. Uh, just need to drop off my stuff, and then I'm back out on the warm side street. I catch the local convenience store, Becker's, uh, just before it closes. And the bell rattles as the door swings shut behind me, and I'm greeted by the overpowering AC and bright fluorescent lights. Two Snickers bars later, the door and the bell rattles again. The path down to Corey's place winds between three-story government housing and private bungalows. We're Corey and I are in wildly different places. He's working full time and just saw the end of his first serious relationship, and I'm only back for the summer uh, and in the thick of mine. So I don't know the importance of the ritual we've just begun. I'm here at least five nights a week. This thin metal door slams behind me, and I spin down the curving stairs can toss one of the two Snickers at him as he sits on the couch. He doesn't explain what's going on in his head because he doesn't need to. He just hands me the controller and he focuses on the matter at hand. There are bad guys to fight, remember. Fighting bad guys, that's what soldiers do, right? Because as I mentioned before, Corey Thomas David is a soldier an actual one for only a brief second, though, as he didn't appreciate the Canadian military's dogmatic expeditions or violent rhetoric. Again, everyone else was confused by this, too. However, a more loyal man you will not meet. And so the year before that, uh, when I said, I'm leaving, he said, I'm coming with you. The metal door swung behind us, slamming on the slowly devolving party. And the sun has now well set, and the streetlights guided us south towards the closest major intersection, approximately 20 minutes away. Corey's a little shorter than me, about 5'10", and just seems to have unlimited energy. Like, he's the kind of guy who runs places for transportation which I stopped doing at age of eight. He still to this day is like, let's just run there. I'm like, that's bullshit, stupid idea. (laughs) But uh, we'd been drinking uh, and I had a bag. uh, So he agreed to walk Uh, side by side, still seething. I don't remember how we became friends because I don't really remember a time when we weren't already. We'd marched hundreds of miles together over the years, often late at night through all parts of Scarborough, so this wasn't new. If history served as a guide, we'd arrive at one of our houses in time to play some video games until our eyelids forced us to sleep. Corey glances over his shoulder and then back again. Second later, he looks back. Uh, I think we're being followed. What? The, the guys behind us, I think, I think they're, they're following us. They got out of the car in front of the party, but didn't go in. I risk a quick, bl- a quick glance back, and two large figures are perhaps 100 meters back. Uh, in the grove. streetlight, I see two teens, hockey players, my brother's age, still in high school. I look forward and Cory and I quicken our pace. One of the men, no, boys, uh, starts calling out. And we ignore him and he gets louder and louder until he's standing in our way. Where do you think you're going? The second stands approximately six meters behind us as if on lookout. Got a fucking problem? His words are slurring as he stands in front of me, mostly ignoring Corey. Give me your phone. No. I realize that I'm holding it, and so I slip it into my jeans. Give me your phone. No. Why the fuck would I? You got a problem? I respond confused, but it's clear that he's just itching for a fight. His dude bro hair matches his hockey player bravado. And I'm not interested, but also he's not going to get out of our way. He grabs the front of my shirt and starts sort of needling my jaw with his fist. Not actually really punching, but a sort of kind of a the thing that hockey players do is they slowly spin in circles. The fuck is your problem? We start trading insults as our assault continues. He pushes us, insults us, and we stand together. Any second that it seems like Corey or I might finally give in, the second boy would take a step towards us, ready to enter the fray. And so neither of us could act alone, and a reaction by one would immediately draw in the other. We're a unit. The light of the nearby street lamp reflects off Corey's scruff and a cool breeze sweeps between us and our shoulders bump into one another as we steady ourselves. It's impossible to to tell how much time passes. Uh, It feels as if we're stuck in this infinite loop, side by side, side by side, side by side, but we stand at attention for one another. The barrage flies at us and we flinch, we bend, but we do not break. The artillery of toxic masculinity reloads for another round. and needs to be fed to survive, and we hold our ground. Because Corey Thomas David is a soldier, but sometimes that means not fighting the bad guys. And as quickly as the tide rose, it recedes. Fuck you guys. Our assailant steps around us and walks past us towards his waiting friend never willing to really throw the first punch, scared like the rest of us. We don't move for a few seconds. We stand in disbelief, glance back to see if he's still walking. Corey looks over to me and asks how I'm doing. My jaw is bruised, but I'm fine. And I ask him the same and he agrees. Slightly battered, we march on. A half hour later, we're home. We softly close the wooden door so as not to wake anyone. And we sit up in the kitchen, one drink before sleep. Life goes on, side by side, side by side, side by side. The year was 1778, and I wish I was in Sherbrooke now. Cheers. Yeah, so we just heard a story uh, that I told.
0: You, Stefan.
1: Me, Stefan, right. Yes, we should introduce ourselves, shouldn't we? We could. Uh, Well, who are you then?
0: I'm Brianne. Ah,
1: great. Um, Yeah, so we just heard a story that I told, and this is part two of our two-part series. Yes. um, Of uh, talking about... The workshop process. Yes, like a workshop process, exactly. And so in the first time, you heard us talk a lot about, or I was, so we have already, so last week's episode, we should talk about yours. I guess we also gonna talk about how yours also Yeah,
0: because we, we kind of both outlined our story ideas, which was basically that you were going to try to craft a story around a person, and I was going to try to craft a story around a place. Mm-hmm. And we then, I think we just kind of described, like, you talked about Corey, and I talked about the place, and we were like, man, hopefully we'll find a plot somewhere. Yeah. And then you asked me what I thought my biggest challenges were. And, uh, and then we heard my final story last week in the episode. So we just heard your final story and now we're going to do... I like a wrap-up. A little wrap-up, yeah. yeah. Postmortem. Yeah, I did end up anchoring it definitely in one timeline for sure. Well, so what I thought, what I was saying in last week's episode was that I thought that it would be kind of about the journey to get there. And what happened was that I wrote that draft and then I probably wrote another version that was still trying to get at that. And it it became so distracting. Like even even though I was trying not to have that be the focus, it was like, oh, we're having this conversation and we're walking in and now we're on a boat and now we're walking, and now we're on a boat again. Like it, trying to make those details kind of make sense was like, it was distracting. I wasn't getting anywhere and I didn't really feel anything about it. So I think I think I wrote two full drafts. I might've written three, but I wrote one And then I wrote a second one, which is what I brought to the second brunch. And then I wrote another fresh draft, which I sent to you, which is basically what I read at the event. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what I read at the event, I decided to, yeah, concentrate that a lot more. So it all took place within one day. I was already there. And then I did the thing, which we always tell people, which is like, just start telling it and then provide details Mm. as you need to pull them in instead of making sure all the details are there. Mm. So I do kind of mention the isolation and I do kind of mention the like nuttiness of the journey, but it was not front and center at all. Right. Yeah. And um, a different thing that changed, I guess, is I talk a lot in last week's episode about wanting it to be about my sense of belonging within a family and that really fell away as I started writing about it that I was like, Oh, actually there's this other thing, which is, I don't name it actually in the story, but my dad has Alzheimer's My dad had Alzheimer's disease. And so his memories really faded away. And I had had this kind of strange experience while I was up there of like, it's weird feeling like your one connection to your own history and your own family and your own whatever is gone. And you didn't, I don't know, do whatever you're supposed to do to cherish your parents. But then to, like, rediscover that a lot of that institutional memory, I'm going to call it for my family, is still there. Like, all, there are all these other people who can kind of fill in those gaps and and occupy that space a little bit. And so that's what I ended up exploring a lot more. Yeah. That's my postmortem. You right. agree? That's true? <laughs> uh, well,
1: yeah, you definitely did that, yeah. 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 Um.
0: So I mean, it shifted. That's what happens once you start writing. Yeah, I think you
1: also added Caribou Cameron in a little significantly more in your second, in your newest version.
0: I did, I did, and that was like the mo. I was just trying to pick something. Well, one that was real. Like I had been trying to explain it, and I could never remember the details, and so it was strange that all those clippings existed. So it's a true, but b I was trying to pick something. And, like, there's, there's questions that I have. There are questions about, like, my dad went to a bunch of universities. What was the timeline? What was the whatever? But I wanted something that would stick out for people that, so that when it came up again, they would remember. As opposed to being like, wait, what years was dad at Laurentian? Like, I don't, I don't think that would have the same kind of impact on the audience as something to remember. Plus right. the story. That story is nuts. <laughs> like, he literally buried his wife embalmed in liquor. like the, right. And then. So it, he could transport her. Yeah, and yeah. then exhumed the coffin to yeah. bring her back to, to this to this part of the world during the gold rush.
1: Yeah, it that, does, and that's a nuts, that's a
0: that's a it's a quite it's unique nuts. story. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. And like I don't, I still don't, I don't remember. There was a long argument about who he was. It was like, well, oh, that was Mildred Hicks's uncle, or like whoever. Classic Mildred. Classic Mildred. She's a no nonsense lady. I can only imagine. She's very recognizable. It's weird how many people that I've never met that I can identify in photos. It's probably not weird. I'm sure a lot of people have this, Mm. but I've been purging my stuff, as you know. I'm emptying out my apartment, and I have just, like, boxes of weird old family stuff. I'm like, ah, yes, another portrait of this lady. Great.
1: (laughs) One more, Mildred.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Looking dapper, Mildred. I love your glasses. You probably didn't call them that. Spectacles. There you go. I love your spectacles, Mildred. Mm. So... So uh, that's what I have to say about that. I still think we get this way more and more now when we're when it's like something that's this new that I haven't thought about before. I still think it's like if I passed it over again and I pass it over again, probably it it would still change. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes you're writing a story and you get to a point where you're like, this is it. This is the essential truth of my feelings. And they are fully formed now. And sometimes you're like, huh, I kind of uncovered this piece a little bit, and now I'm going to share it with people. But I bet if I sat down with this again, it would change. Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel about this one. Yeah. I kind of feel a – I think I feel similarly.
1: Um, oh, no, I actually definitely feel similarly. Because uh, I did something that I've never done before. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, Tell us what that uh, was. Uh, I changed the beginning and the end of that story with about 12 seconds before I walked on stage. What? You already knew I did this.
0: I know I was there. <laughs> I was there.
1: Um, like, which I've, so what I've done before is I've got on stage and I've, so, and in the process of telling it, I've, 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 I've added a line or two mm-hmm. of I've sort of yeah. digression and stuff like that. And, you know, like this is a thing or that's a thing or whatever yeah. this, uh, but I've never fucked with the beginning or ending mm-hmm. uh, because that's usually when I feel good about a piece yeah uh you know, like like that's that that's the whole thing to some extent for me mm-hmm. um and so doing it to doing that this time uh was it was a it was a different plan uh and <laughs> and to be honest it was a a bit of a i wasn't fully sure how it would work yeah uh but at the same time i knew like so I got closer. So actually, maybe I should, maybe, let's, let's, maybe let's I should say, wind back to, to what, how I, how yeah, I, like
0: for, the process. People just heard the story, yeah. but they don't actually know, they didn't hear the in-between drafts. So
1: when I started, so I did, I did write out the whole first, like in the, in last week's episode, I talked about how I wanted to anchor it in the, in the sort of one piece, uh, the sort of, you know, fight, not fight thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote that. Mm-hmm. and I didn't like it. Part of it made it sound like I was in a coma for two years.
0: Yes. Um, Which is that it sounded like you were in a coma. Yeah,
1: uh, because of the way I flashed forward and said I woke up or something like that. Because the way I was flashing yeah. forward, I was trying to do it in a way that sort of didn't seem super weird, and it didn't really work. And then part of it also made it sound like I was in a coma. Like, I finished telling it, and then everyone was like, were you in a coma? And I was like... No.
0: Yeah. Well, and again, as we also mentioned last time, like there were a few new people. Yeah. So people who hadn't heard the story before, hadn't heard the story that you were remixing mm-hmm. kind of. So it's one of those funny things where it's like, I know you were in a coma because I already know this entire timeline. Right. But I definitely was like, mm, it sounds like you were in a coma. Well, I also am pretty sure that the, the, I would have, I, I for to
1: have been in a coma, that would have been three years or something instead of two. Like the whole thing would have made no sense if I had, i been in a coma, but I was not in a coma. Uh, but it definitely was distracting for everyone. Yeah. Uh, but it also didn't really do. It didn't really get into the actual feeling that I was really going for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never felt, even when I finished it, I didn't feel good about it. And then I remember talking to a friend of mine and I was talking, and we were talking out and I I, 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 I think I remember coming to a, a conclusion that I actually wanted that, that, Weirdly enough, doing it backwards, like how I ended up doing it, was the way I could actually get some feeling into it. Mm-hmm. And sort of like, no, I want to start with this and make it like this mm-hmm. in, it throughout. Um, and so I start, you anyway, so know, so that version I start, I actually start actually with the, the, the so the version that I had that written out and printed out and brought to the event mm-hmm. uh, actually starts with the fight but then says, I'm getting ahead of myself. And the story is actually better told backwards. And then I flash backwards through the three Mm -hmm. slices of life that you actually do hear uh, in the story.
0: Yeah. And you hear them in a way that's kind of more incremental. Yeah. I think so the timeline, even though it's backwards, it's not confusing because you're being explicit about it yeah exactly
1: uh, and I start and in the present is the most feature and I'm not jumping trying to jump back into the fight scene basically mm-hmm. I just tell the fight scene in one straight go yeah uh, but even in that scene so I got that that one got me a little closer and so it's interesting what I've discovered uh, in this process is every once in a while I get sort of I get worked up I guess mm-hmm. the best example is uh, when I'm telling a story or when I'm working on a story, and that's the moment where I'm actually like, I think that's how I want to tell it because I, I don't feel like I don't I don't feel confident on stage unless I can be animated about the story. And yeah. if I don't care about if I don't like the story. I don't care about the story. <laughs> I can't feel animated, and so then it makes the whole process feel awkward. Yeah, uh, and so and so I have to have that feeling to to really to really to be really double down. Um, and so what ended up happening was. But right before I got on stage, I was thinking about it, and I was still working my way through it, and I realized uh, that I still was not perfectly happy with it, but I didn't know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. And I remembered this the song that I begin with, uh, which, to some extent, for why I liked it is because like that's just like it's. I guess it's, it goes into it's what's quintessentially like. If I think of that from group, and, and quite specifically, it's so, so quintessential to our experience. Mm-hmm. And to sense, we're like, you know, if you were hanging out with us long enough, eventually all of the people who hang out on Treasury know that we, that's a thing that happens. Yeah. It's ridiculous and it's stupid, but we do it and we love it and so don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it became a way to sort of, to, to do something else about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to bring it in in a way that, and, 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 to, and to sort of cap it in a way that I thought was more fitting uh, to, the whole, to the whole story. Because in the end, the whole story stopped being about really everything except, well, like, it, it really started, it, it was really just about my and relationship. Right. Um, in a way that I think that song exemplifies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it added a little more intrigue. You know, it was a little, it was, it, you
0: know, someone, you know, it was. You were more
1: animated. It was more animated, and it and, it, and it. and you also
0: took a shot, which might not have been clear to people that is listening. True. Yeah. Uh, at the,
1: both times? Uh, yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, a smaller one at the end. Like yeah. neither of them were full shots, but the smaller one at the end. Um, and yeah, it's it sort of was, I guess it made the, made the whole thing feel more like a, like a, like a full piece for some reason. I don't mm-hmm. really know how to explain that. Yeah. Uh, but it just felt right. It felt right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and so in the end it, it really worked. I was really actually quite happy with it. And it was funny about that is I I was, I feel like even, even the parts in the middle, I sort of half changed. Mm-hmm. I actually think the entire story as I told it on stage then is much better than the written version I have. Yeah. Uh, and so even even at that last moment like even the parts in the middle that were sort of different or like not not, not, not different different but like slightly different wording or I added a sentence from like that uh, I often feel like that whatever my stage version is slightly better than my spoke than my written version uh, because it, especially if I know the story well enough and mm-hmm. I can and I can I can feel the audience a little bit that's what gives me that power uh, and so yeah so even that ended up being a little bit better and mm-hmm. I really the whole thing like it's yeah, I could, I, you know, it, if I went through it again, I think I could actually, so what's funny about this, if I went through it again, I think I could have, I think if I, with this new theme, I could have done a little bit more with it. I think you
0: would have started with that idea.
1: I would have started with that idea a little more, yeah, and been, and lean, been lean in more heavily to that idea, mm-hmm. which would have given me a, uh, I could have, I could have woven the whole thing through a little bit. Mm-hmm. Instead of it sort of being tacked on on the other end, I could have really got it in to a much more, to more, maybe it's a slightly more interesting place. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I think in the story, I briefly yeah, I was more, like in the in the opening, I actually tell a story which is nowhere written, and uh, which I probably want, which I might focus on, which was this moment in in at New Year's where we walking through the snow and sing the song, and I'm, that's a very poignant memory for me. Yeah. Uh, and so I might even like I was gonna do it. I might even write the entire thing based on that New Year's and scrap the entire fight thing, which is you know already so you already did. Right. Uh, even if it's sort of again that nothing really happened that night, so maybe it wouldn't work. But I think I would have the. Because I was, again, because it was a new story. more real for you. Exactly. And because it was a new story and because it was something that I haven't really gone over the fine-tooth comb, uh, I I feel like if I kept thinking about it, I could come up with other examples of things that might have made it a very, very different experience.
0: Mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing is that we both ended our breakdowns by saying that if we went back to it, we would probably write it different again.
1: Yeah. So workshopping never ends necessarily. Yeah. yeah workshopping is a beginning process. and like I think both of our stories that we sort of were most comfortable with are stories that were either always in our head that we were working on or that we we had written out four or five or six times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's not surprising to some extent.
0: no, And it's also like my favorite thing about doing this this thing that is a live event is that unlike when you're publishing something, I mean, we record everything, so it's it's out there in the world for posterity. But like unlike putting something out even on the internet, frankly, something written. It's like, it's really firm and I don't know, there's this idea of what it needs to be to be finished and it's like, no, we're never really finished. We're just talking about lives, man. Yeah. And you can just put it out there and it's fine. It's always fine. Yeah. And I think
1: a lot of, I think that, that, that difference, the that differentiation between a lot of people, a lot of even storytellers think of stories. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of storytellers see their stories there as a as a as a work of art they're crafting and when they're done they're it's done like a song yeah and what's interesting is that is that a that 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 actually makes them react quite negatively to podcasts and then you know because then they can't oh yeah go they won't record them because then they can't because then they can't go to other places and, 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 and tell them it kills yeah. the story because everyone's heard it before in the same yeah. way that it might kill a joke yeah uh, once you once it's on stage
0: the process it's never over and it's also not that intimidating because you just heard all of it yeah exactly I think that's it thanks everyone thank you you can find us online at thereapers.org because we're in the life collecting business you can like us at facebook.com slash stories we don't tell podcast
1: if you want to help us out you can rate and review us on iTunes thanks to Rayana for the theme music to this podcast
0: you can find out more about her in the show notes or at rayana.ca
1: this episode of Stories you Don't Tell podcast is brought to you by Different Voices. Different Voices. Who needs them? <laughs>
0: it's a great endorsement. I think so. I'm on board.